Colossians chapter 3. Now, if you've ever taken in a track meet, maybe you've watched them, some of you have participated, some of you uh, perhaps have taken in like the Olympics, and when you come to the the relays, especially the 4x100 relay, I mean, that just, I mean, it is so exciting, it's like electric, and I, I can just tell you that a lot of times we've had, we've fielded American teams in international competition, including the Olympics, that we were definitely picked to win, and uh, we just couldn't get it done. I mean, how it works, you've got 100 meters, and then you have a 20-meter exchange zone. All you have to do is take that little stick and put it in that guy's hand, and he just kind of runs, and I mean, that's all there is to it. You've got 20 meters to do that. And you're thinking, how hard can that be? Take a little stick, put it in the guy's hand, right? Can't be that hard, right? Let me tell you, it is a lot harder than you think. It's kind of like parenting. We think, like, can't be that hard. Come on, you got kids, 20-year exchange zone, maybe, maybe more like 18. I mean, you're an adult, right? You know how to function, and it should be pretty easy to give them everything they need for life and faith and godliness, right? Not a problem. But if you've ever entered into the realm of parenting, you know that it is a lot harder than you might think. And every parent needs to ask this question. How am I going to raise my kids? What am I after? What am I trying to accomplish? It's the most important and critical decisions of your life will be centered around what you're going to do with your kids. Now, a lot of folks, they actually kind of just go to default mode on parenting, which is how you were raised up. You'll spend, you'll spend a lot of time and money. You'll get educated for years for your career. You'll study. You'll, you'll spend all sorts of money. You'll get the latest technology, get all the books. Uh, when it comes to what you do with your money, financing, boy, you are locked on. You think about this very carefully. Your lifestyle, you've got it all mapped out and planned out. But when it comes to parenting, uh, many parents have given very little time to the subject. And the passion of godly parents is that they want to see each one of their children made complete in Christ. And this morning, I just would like to give you three guiding principles for godly parents. Last week, Shane Sanders spoke on practical parenting. This week, I'd like to just give you some guiding principles on how to do that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, as we've been making our way through the text, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. In a companion text in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you want to raise your children to really know God, you need to, first of all, take responsibility. This is on you. Notice what the text says, Colossians 3, 21. Fathers. It's a word that certainly refers to male parents, but it can refer to both parents. In fact, when it's used in Hebrews 11.23, it's referring to Moses' parents. And this is telling you that it is your responsibility as a parent to raise your children. And if you remember, as we've been making our way through Colossians chapter 3, we all began in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You've been raised up with Christ. You have trusted him for salvation, for forgiveness. He actually enters into your life and gives you strength and empowerment to do what he's asked. And furthermore, he tells us how to live. That's what his word does. So if you're seeking the things above, God wants us to implement what he's told us so that we live as he's asked. It's the right way on the earth. And he says, fathers, you need to make sure 
that you take responsibility, and when I'm talking about fathers, I'm talking about parents, to raise your kids. When I was in youth ministry, both when I was in the business world and as a youth pastor, I'd run these parents' meetings, and you'd get a big room full of people, all these parents in there, and I'd tell them this, listen, I am not your kid's spiritual eyes. You are. I am merely like the Flintstone vitamin to the meat and potatoes they're getting at home. You are the one that needs to supply the training. I can do some things that maybe you can't, like rent out a bowling alley and pack it full of kids and stuff like that. But you are responsible for raising your kids. Now, if I was in Texas, I would have said, listen, I am not responsible for your kids' spiritual lives. You are. I'm the Flintstone vitamin. You're the brisket and the fried okra they're getting at home. Okay? And and I see now that you all get that right. And you understand that it really is up to you. But it, you can't just leave it up to like, well, I'm going to send them to school. It's the parents, it's the school job, it's their teachers, it's the principal. Um, I'm going to leave it up to the coach. I'm going to leave it up to the band instructor. I'm going to leave it up to the youth group leaders. Uh-uh. They may be supplemental, and that is all. You are to be the primary influencer in your kids' lives. You need to reject passivity, and you need to accept responsibility. God says clearly, my people, I want you to do this. Let me give you a second principle. Not only do you have to take responsibility, you have to understand that I am in the game, but you have to treat with sensitivity. Did you notice what he said here? Like in 321 in Colossians, fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word exasperate means to provoke or to irritate. And he says, don't do that so that they will not lose heart, so that they won't become listless, despondent, discouraged. As a parent, you can destroy the heart of your kid. And he's saying, I don't want you to do that. Do not exasperate them. Or in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, do not provoke them to anger. Where this is that you are just riding your kids so hard that there is just this ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up kind of this just seething anger in your kids. It's because you're just always riding them hard. You're picking them apart. You're a master at it. Maybe you grew up that way. And he says, don't, so that they will not lose heart. Now, this isn't suggesting that you never make your kids mad. Like some of your kids are like, whoa, this is great. The best message I've ever heard on parenting. My parents are never to make me mad. Yes, actually, no, that's not how it works. Your job, remember, as we talked about it, is to obey your parents. You align yourself with their leadership. But parents, you need to understand that your times your kids are going to be mad at you. Okay? Parenting is messy. But you want to be involved in such a way that you're not exasperating them. Now, when Paul wrote these statements, he threw the pagan world and even for most Jewish families, he threw them into complete chaos from how they normally functioned. In most pagan homes and even most Jewish homes, The father, the husband, he kind of ruled with an iron fist, and he was generally quite insensitive to his wife and to his kids. It was really all about him. He he had a rigid, domineering authority. And God says, those of you who are united with Christ, you're seeking the things above, I want you to parent completely different. I want you to be intimately involved in the lives of your kids. Do not exasperate them. Don't put them in a situation where you've got just anger just starting to continually build in your kids' lives. And just by the way, as parents, we've got to deal with the anger issues in us first. <laughs> Don't you find that parenting kind of brings out the worst in you? I've, I've found that with me. You've got to address this issue. 
And anger can be so deadly to a soul's development. I mean, it drowns out joy, hope, contentment. In fact, it actually, according to Ephesians 4, it gives the devil an opportunity. Listen to this text. It says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And he says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You resolve these issues during the day. You don't allow just built-up, pent-up hostility to develop in the lives of your kids. And who's responsible to address that? All the kids. No, it's you. Do not exasperate them. Now, if you're like going, hey, so I would like to really exasperate my kids. You got any good ideas on how I could do that? Or you might be thinking, can you tell me how to not do that? Well, let me just tell you some different ways parents can exasperate and provoke their children to anger. I'll just list these. Like showing favoritism or demeaning them where you're depreciating their worth, or having improper expectations. John MacArthur is a pastor out in California, and he writes in one of his books of an experience where he visited a, a young lady who was uh, in, committed to a mental institution. She came from a Christian home. She herself was a Christian. And the situation was such that even though she was in a Christian home, her mother drove her to be the absolute best in everything. She had to be the most popular, the most beautiful, the most intelligent, and the most successful. And she performed. She became the head cheerleader. She was the homecoming queen. And after that, she became a model. But then she had a complete mental breakdown. And so when he visited her, he was trying to work and address that situation. Eventually, she got out of the institution and she got put back in that same sort of artificial demanding environment where mama was living out her dreams through her girl. And later, that girl committed suicide. And MacArthur writes what, he told, what she told him one day. I don't care what it is I do. It never satisfies my mother. Don't exasperate your children. Let me give you another one. Overprotection. This is kind of, you heard of like the helicopter parent. You know how they're just, they're just totally on. They're watching their kid do everything. They can't, they can't even pour Kool-Aid without, oh, you didn't do that quite right. You know, and they're just, they're always on them. They are just completely hovering over every detail of their life. And you think, well, I'm just, I don't want anything bad to happen when they're pulling the Kool, pouring the Kool-Aid or getting the cheese out of the fridge or something like that. And that's all mice. But you've got to give them some slack. You've got, you can't put them in a situation where they literally feel like they are bound to you. Because let me tell you what will happen. At some point, they're going to rebel because they will think this is the only way I can ever experience liberty in my life is if I truly go into rebellion. Let me give you the converse of that. Not giving age-appropriate guidelines. This is a parent that is completely overindulgent, way too permissive, could care less. And it's been shown in research. Children that are given far too much autonomy feel insecure and they do not feel loved. I had this driven home when I was a youth guy and we were running this big Christmas party. I had a gym full of kids and it was awesome and everything's finishing up. And one of my high school uh, student leaders came up to me and said, John, he's in the hall and he's, he's crying. I'm like, How could that be? I mean, we're just having a blast. Everybody's out of school. So I, I went and found John. Um, John had come to Christ in our ministry. Uh, he came from a terrible home background. I went and visited him when he was just starting to come. Some of the kids were bringing him. The apartment that he lived in just reeked of alcohol, kind of like the equivalent experience of going to a fraternity house. The, his parents couldn't even get him a bed because their priorities were completely else. So I find John in the hall, and I said, Hey, John, what's, what's going on, man? He's crying. He's like, My parents don't love me. I said, How do you know that? Because... 
They don't care what I do or where I go. You want to exasperate your kids? Just don't care. And don't involve yourself. Let me give you some more. Giving criticism without encouragement. You're really good at just picking them apart, but you can never encourage them. Making your kids feel unwanted. You ignore them. Do your kids feel like you are on their team? Or are they merely an intrusion in your life and you really can't wait for them to be gone? Um, I'll just tell you, there's another one. Making your kids feel unwanted where you ignore them. If your son doesn't know that you love him, he will find some relationships where he'll experience something like what he's looking for. And it's going to be all bad. And the same with the girl. If your daughter doesn't know that you love her, Satan's got a guy that will fill the bill. You do not want that to happen. You want to be in the game. Let me give you some other ways you can exasperate your kids. Being physically or verbally abusive. Living by a double standard. Uh, whether that be at work or your routines with your walk with God or your involvement in church or your priorities. Kids pick up if you've got one thing coming out of your mouth and another thing coming out of your life. They, they get it pretty quickly far quicker than you might realize. They know, does your relationship, God, is it really important or is it kind of when it's convenient? They see your involvement in church. If you tell them it's really important to be involved in church and to develop community, but you never do that, they know. Some parents go, you know, when, I, when the kids are out of the house, then I'm really going to start serving, okay? Then I'm going to really involve myself in the body of Christ. That is a bad idea. You know what you just trained your kids? You just trained them that service and ministry in the body of Christ is not important and they will follow in your steps. And they learned it from you. And you can exasperate them with double standards on your entertainment, your ethics, your morals. Uh, Another one, regularly being in a disagreeable mood. You know, everybody's going to have days where they're not happy campers, right? Come on, everybody's got days. But if it's pretty much six to seven days a week, you're just, you know, you're going to exasperate your kids. Another, being conditional with your love. You use your love as a tool to reward and you withdraw it to punish. You're going to exasperate your kids. Or finally, failing to give or ask for forgiveness. You're going to hold a grudge. You know where your kids are going to learn how to forgive? When they see you do it. We all have plenty of mistakes, don't we? Will we forgive? Will we model? Will we teach them? And what you want to do is you do not want your kids to lose heart where they feel defeated, deflated, and they just like a deep-seated resentment. If you're going to raise your kids well, you've got to take responsibility and you've got to actually treat with sensitivity. Let me give you the third. And that is you need to train for maturity. Where are we going with this? What do we want to see happen? In Ephesians 6, 4, look at that text. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your job is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when you see that word, bring them up, it literally is the word nourish. Like husbands are to nourish their wives, Ephesians 5, 29. Well, that's what you're to do with your children. It's not just merely, well, they got clothes and I've got a shelter for them and I'm feeding them pretty regularly. It's far more than that. You're cultivating development in every aspect of their life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, intellectually. You are fostering growth and development. And he says, and bring them up in the discipline. Now, when you think that, hear that word discipline, almost everybody's mind goes, uh-uh, that's correction, right? 
Actually, it would be better translated as nurture. It has the idea of training and instruction. It is cultivating the mind and morals. You are nurturing, you're exercising this discipline of involving yourself in their development in the discipline and the instruction. This has the idea of warning, reminding, correcting. You're in the game. It is what you find in the book of Proverbs, where a father is pleading with a son, directing him the way he should go, talking and communicating to the heart. And you do this in the Lord. All of our parenting must be centered on Christ. So you don't just like keep Christ at the center when you go to a worship service like this, but really keeping Christ at the center in everything you do, your job. You keep him at the center of your relationships, how you deal and interface with your neighbors. You're always keeping Christ at the center and especially with your parenting. You bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord because the passion of godly parents is to see their children being made complete in Christ fully mature, walking with God, knowing Christ, his goodness, and his grace in their lives. That's what we're about as parenting. Now, let me just give you some insights on how to train for maturity. You do this, first of all, by centering on the heart. You focus on the heart. When we talk about the heart in the Bible, it actually speaks of the control center of a person's life. It's their mind, but even entails like their emotions, their will. It is their control center. That's why the Bible says, like in Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What's going on in here, what's going on up here, has a way of emanating and coming out your life. So as parents, we are focused on the heart. There is a book by Ted Tripp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Now, when Karina and I were getting involved in having our first child, we'd actually been researching the whole parenting deal for quite some time. Uh, we, we recognized that we were first-generation Christians, in a sense that we were going to have to do it differently. And we were pretty clueless. So we involved ourselves with really good mentors. We learned, we asked lots of questions, and we read this particular book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. We read, read a chapter a night, and on Sunday night, after everything's all done, we actually then sit down and discuss this chapter. And I want you to listen to what Tripp writes. The central focus of parenting is the gospel. You need to direct not simply the behavior of your children, but the attitudes of their hearts. You need to show them not just the what of their sin and failure, but the why. Your children desperately need to understand not only the external what they did wrong, but also the internal why they did it. You must help them see that God works from the inside out. Therefore, your parenting goal cannot simply be well-behaved children. Your children must also understand why they sin and how to know internal change. You see, we are focused on heart transformation not behavior modification. That is why the Bible places so much emphasis on a person's heart. Your heart is right, you begin to live right. But we get so wired into, are they doing the right things? Are they performing correctly? Not Jesus. Like Matthew 15, verse 8, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's all I do. You're saying you love me and you talk about me, but your heart really isn't it. I know that. That's not what I'm after. Or like he said in Luke 6:45, the good man out of the good treasure brings forth from his, from his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man from the evil treasure in his heart brings forth what is evil. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. What's going on inside has a way of going out, going out from your life. Now, when it comes to parenting, you can train a monkey. You know that? 
You can train your kid to do what you want them to do. But what you want to do is you want to focus on the heart. Your kids, just like you, you need a heart renewal. And can you change your kid's heart? You can't even change your own heart. So you're not going to do it with your kids. God must do it. That's why we keep going back to him. God is the one who brings renewal, forgiveness. We keep talking to them about Christ and the reality that mom and dad need Christ and you need Christ and we need a heart renewal. And so in parenting, we're responsible to receive our kids. We're responsible to raise them and we're responsible to release them as fully functional adults in the world. And that means that we're going to have to connect at a heart level. It's not that you just kind of move to different stages. I mean, even when you just start bringing that little baby home from the hospital, they already are on a pattern now where they're starting to be independent. And pretty soon they might roll over. And then they might actually start feeding themselves. And then they can actually start crawling. And next thing you know, they're walking around. And they're just making all these growth. And they're taking these steps of development. Pretty soon they can feed themselves. You know, like about age 15. You know, where are like, wow, they're doing it. You guys had it earlier, huh? Okay. All right. And I'm just kidding. And then, you know, maybe they're picking out their own clothes. They're making decisions about movies. They are starting to function. Maybe they have a sleepover at another person's house. Maybe they actually go graduate from school. Then they move on to the military or the workforce or go on to college. And from there, maybe they get married. They are on a process of growth and development. You and I, we need to focus on the heart. We need to release them, have the vision and the goal of releasing them as being fully functional people who walk with God, who know Christ, and have maturity in their life. And so that's what you're doing. You are centering on the heart. Let me tell you something else you want to do if you're training for maturity. You are communicating continually. You are always talking with your kids, okay? Now, you have to take the initiative. If you've got the idea that, great, we'll have kids, and they'll see all the vast amount of wisdom that I have, and they're just going to ask me questions all the time. It just didn't work that way, okay? You might have a really unique kid that might do that, but most kids, they don't. You have to almost always take the initiative. You take the initiative. Even when they get into high school, you think, like, by now they can finally see how much I really know. Nah, they're not so interested. Guess what? You have to take the initiative of engaging them. And what do you talk about? Well, you just naturally talk about everything in life. Please don't be weird. Your kids, they have, a, like, a little meter, and they just like, that's, you're, you're weird, okay? You know, what you want to do is just in very natural, normal ways. While you're driving, you don't need to be listening to the radio all the time. Because what happens is, kids, they got their phone, and you know, just turn on the radio, and you're missing golden opportunities to invest. You take time to talk with them. Talk about things that you're learning, about knowing Christ, growing in his word. If you're like, man, I don't actually read my Bible. Well, try it, and then just say, hey, I read something in the Bible. They'll forget what you said, but they'll remember my mom or my dad actually reads the scripture. Talk about your relationship with Christ. Talk about knowing and growing and maybe growth that has taken place in your life. Tell them your testimony. Then talk about character development. You know, but not only your convictions, your beliefs, your attitudes, and your values, but talk about how behavior changes because of our relationship with Christ. Just like a tree grows and matures, talk about what that looks like in life, in your life, in their life. Talk about how, what it looks like in their relationships. Relationships with mom and dad, their siblings, at school on the team with the neighborhood kid, there's going to be always issues that they're going to need relationship instruction. You provide it for them. And then talk about your career, your ministry. You talk about everything in life. They need to know how to mow a lawn. They need to know how to make a meal. They need to know how to function in life. They need to know how to pray, ask forgiveness, how to relate, how to show respect. Where are they going to learn that? I sure hope those teachers have got their act together. No, they're going to learn it from you. 
And I'll tell you, this is so very important because right now, this is what's going on in America with kids. If you don't have beauty, brains, or talents that you can put on display that distinguish you from everybody else, it's kind of like that science experiment. Remember in science class where you had that can and you took the air out of it? And, it, and that can just goes... Remember it all collapsed inside? That's what's going on in all sorts of kids. They don't actually hear it from mom and dad. They think the only way I have value is I'm beauty, I'm beautiful, I got a lot of brains, I'm really, really, really good at something where people recognize me. But most kids are dying inside. And then they have to go to school or be around their peers who are almost like piranhas on some of this, and they literally shred these kids. You need to be communicating at a heart level, talking about them, their value, their identity in Christ, how you esteem what you see God doing in their life, how they're growing. Tell them it's far more important that you have good character than like getting straight A's. Tell them like, man, I'm really glad that you're an athlete that hustles and works hard, even if they aren't the star of the team. They know that. They need to know what's really important. And if you've got the idea that my kid's going to be a professional athlete, Probably not. Do you know that? The statistics are really far against you. If that's your retirement plan, you're going to be in for a real disappointment. What you want to do is communicate to the heart, and you want to be communicating regularly. If your kid doesn't have a 22-inch vertical jump, or she's got a complexion problem, or she's just average-looking, or he's some, you know, overweight a little bit, who is going to minister to their soul and really help them develop? You've got to be in, and your kid might be suffering. Um... If you don't, they're going to get crushed, and you need to start from day number one. You're just always talking with your kid. Dennis Rainey, in his book, One Home at a Time, writes this. Letting withdrawal take place is a huge tactical error. Abandoning teenagers to set their own limits and boundaries is an unthinkable omission. We must intensify our efforts to experience deeper intimacy with our children during adolescence. When adult matters surface, issues like sexuality, manhood, womanhood, peer pressure, self-image... Teenagers need our guidance to navigate the swift currents of life. And so what you want to do is you want to help develop a Godward orientation. You do that by communicating. It's not about pleasures, possessions, approval, acceptance, status. It's about knowing God and seeing God develop you from the inside out. You need to be involved. Let me give you another. If you're going to train for maturity, you need to be correcting consistently. Did you know that one of the ways that we know that we are the children of God is that God actually disciplines us? And you're like, what? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, he says, like in verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. You uh, ignore God. You try to do things on your own. Guess what? Do you know that tension you feel inside? And you know how you feel real bad? And if that doesn't work, then God has other ways of bringing it to your attention, whether you're confronted by an individual or things really go haywire until God's got your full attention. Do you know why he does that? Because he develops his people in the context of an unconditional love. And he wants you to experience the fullness of life. And that cannot be done apart from knowing God and trusting him. So you try it and it doesn't work. Well, when it comes to parenting children, guess what? We need to do the exact same thing. We need to be involved. Maturity doesn't just happen. It's actually learned. It's a process. It's an ongoing process. It takes practice and training. And let me just kind of give you a graph on this. What you want to think about it like this is as a child ages, as he gets older, at first there's going to be a lot of correction, discipline in their life, and there's going to be hardly any maturity. You may have noticed this, okay? But as they get older, 
you really ideally would like discipline to go down and you want, at the same time, maturity increasing. So by the time they're adults, you've got, and I'm talking about like 15, 16, 17, you've got a lot of maturity. They don't have to be in this kind of teenage stage where they're perpetually immature. And that's just like, well, that's just the way teenagers are. No, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that we want to bring them to the fullness of maturity. So what do you, how do you do this as far as like discipline, correcting? What do you do? I mean, what methods of correction do you use? Do you use verbal rebukes, timeouts, grounding, removal of privileges, spanking, uh, slapping the hand, all of these, none of these? What, what do you do? Well, you need to know that the secular experts say that like any sort of correction, like, like if you were to spank their hand or their backside, they would, most experts say that that sort of punishment is abusive and you're going to seriously injure their psyche, okay? And that is, that's just mainstay. I mean, you guys all know that, right? Some of them go so far as to say there should never be any negative correction in a child's life. It should be all positive. Now, that's what's out there, and it's, it's coming in full force, right? But what does God say? Who is our authority? You think that the the one who actually made people would know how to raise them. Don't you think God would probably have some pretty good ideas on what this should look like? He does. He talks a lot about it. So you look at what does the scripture say? Now, there's, there's all sorts of different ways of disciplining your children. Spanking is one of them, but it's not, certainly not the only one, and it needs to be done in the context of love. But I want you to consider like this verse, Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So if you hate your son, never correct him. Don't. Because that actually has results. It brings about maturity. And so this is what happens even like on Christian talk radio. They say you need to balance love and discipline. They're like opposites. But let me ask you, what's the opposite of love? Is it discipline? No. The opposite of love is hate, right? If you love your kid, you are going to be committed for the long haul to do the things that are very difficult, very challenging. And so you invest yourself in this process. And don't take my word for it. I always want you to examine the scriptures. You go take the book of Proverbs and you make a little mark on everything it has to say about parenting and let God's word shape your heart on this matter. But if you will not, you're just going to either default to what you learned uh, as a, growing up as a kid or whatever just is kind of popular in today's culture I want to challenge you, go God's way. He knows best. You'll find verses like Proverbs 19:18. It says, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Or Proverbs 22:15. foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. There are three things that you simply cannot allow as parents. And I'll give them to you in three Ds. You might want to put this up on your fridge. This is what we do not. We do not allow disrespect we do not allow dishonesty, and we do not allow disobedience, okay? These are the things that we are going to discipline for. Now, when, for younger kids, as soon as their sin nature starts to manifest itself, and you will know when this is happening, when they can actually understand what you're saying, and they're going to do the opposite. You say, do not touch grandma's vase. They look at you. Wah! They understand exactly. You know we need to step it up and start correcting, okay? So when they're really young like that, you can just like slap them on their hand. At first, they're going to go into shock. <gasps> How dare you? 
I am the sovereign authority in this family and you just you just hit my little hand. Whoa. And they're going to let you know that they're disturbed about this decision that you've just made. They're going to throw all sorts of fits and tantrums and they'll work you over. If they see you, okay, they I get you. And they'll train you real quick. Right. When they get older, when they get older, like uh, that kind of moving to that past that toddler stage into elementary, uh, you would you can spank their backside. Now, like we use this little, you know, those little paddles that had the rubber ball attached to the rubber band. You could use them, those paddles. You don't you're not bruising them. You're not trying to hurt them and take the rubber ball off because you can. It can <laughs> OK, and you can get hurt. And, you know, it, it comes chaos and get tangled up here. And I'm trying to be serious and I'm tied up in this little ping pong paddle thing. OK. Try to, try to at least have some semblance of sanity when you're doing this, okay? All right? Or you could use like a wooden spoon, okay? And you, and you do this. But make sure that you are, or you're actually doing this and you're engaged. When they get older, I'm saying like later elementary, uh, on into the teenager years, uh, there's all sorts of things you can use. There could be uh, restriction of privileges, dropping their allowance, cutting off TV, ball games, assigning extra chores, grounding them. But that's what you want to do is make sure that the punishment fits the offense, okay? So if they, like, you know, took a cookie when they weren't supposed to, like you haven't, right? Don't, like, ground them for six months or something like that, okay? That's going to exasperate your children. But you want to be involved. In fact, you want to begin very early. This is a huge tactical error that many parents make. They're like, nah, I can just ignore this sort of stuff. Uh Uh-uh. As soon as you start seeing it, you have to be committed to the hard work of parenting, and you get engaged. And it is going to be difficult there, it's going to wear you out, especially in those preschool years. I mean, it's just going to take everything out of you. It might be the hardest thing that you will do, but you are committed to God and to the well-being of your kid. And so you want to begin early, and then you want to use the word no very carefully. Kind of like this. Mean what you say and say what you mean. When you say no, you're going to back it up, okay? And that, means that, that doesn't mean like, well, I'll never use the word no. No, you use it. If that's not what you want, you just tell them, no, I don't want you doing this, and you make it clear. They're going to test you. They're going to find out where the boundaries are. Now, you don't do this. You don't say, like, would you like to go to bed now? And they're, like, looking at you like, of course I don't want to go to bed. If I wanted to go to bed, I'd pass out on the floor. I don't want to go to bed. I'm playing with my toys. So you don't ask them questions like that. You tell them in a cheerful voice, hey, bedtime. Let's pick up those toys. Let's get head to bed. And if they're like, nah, 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 no, they're, they're disregarding view. In fact, delayed obedience is disobedience. You don't ask them, hey, would you like to eat now? I know, mama's made this great supper here and it's time to eat, come on. No, you don't, you just tell them, hey, it's time to eat, please come to the table. And you want them to obey with the right heart, the right attitude, and you want to do it right away. You, uh, you don't want to... I don't know what else to call this, but you, you want to refrain from the count to ten approach, okay? And you've seen this, so you t- give a directive to your kid, okay? Can you please come here? <laughs> no, they're not doing their own thing. And then you don't make me count to ten, and you start counting, and they're like, oh, let's see, what comes? One, two, three, and they're kind of thinking about it. They're, pretty, they're going to learn their numbers this way, but it's going to have some really negative implications in your life. And then, you know, you're starting to lose it. You're using their full legal name. You're going, Samuel, Edward, James, the son, get over here right now. You know, you're right. And all of a sudden, I mean, the whole atmosphere is totally destroyed. And you're like, nine, nine and a half, nine and three quarters. They don't even know what you're talking about at this point. And then they just know that when they say ten, that, that oh, that's where you drew the line. That's when you mean business. And then they take one step. And then they look at you, right? And they're like, you're like oh, they're kind of responding. And, and they like, start counting to ten again. No, you don't, you don't want to do that. A real simple principle, and we try to do this in our home, 
is just have our kids say this. When do, we, when do we obey? Right away. When do we obey? Right away. It's a really good policy for God's people. And it's a really good policy for parenting. Now, with this, you want to make sure that uh, you don't try to reason with your child. Okay? And this is what this looks like. Well, you start explaining why they need to come to the table or why they need to pick up their toys, and you give them all these reasons. What you're doing is you're actually training your child that if they understand and they think it's a good idea, then they will obey. doesn't work that way. When they get older, you want to do a lot of explaining. But uh, in those early years, they need to obey you when you say it. Another thing you want to do is, is make sure you do not do is reward manipulative behavior. Fussing, crying, tattling, pouting, nagging. And what they're trying to do is they're going to try to wear you out. Okay? And you're like, ah, oh, I either give in or you... you this is the worst. You give them like candy or you buy them ice cream or something like that. Oh, I'll just buy this toy so you'll be quiet and I can have sanity for 20 minutes. You're training them. What is that going to look like when they're married or on the job? You want them to learn to obey you. You're the authorities God has placed in their life. If they don't learn to obey you, they're going to have a lot of trouble obeying God and other authorities in their life, whether that be civil authorities, teachers, Whoever they come across, coaches, pastors, they're just like, I don't have to obey my parents. I don't have to obey God. And I certainly don't have to obey you. And I think this is what's leading to the demise of our society. We have families, specifically parents, who simply will not do the hard, extremely important work of parenting. It's going to be extremely draining. And if you think like, well, I'll just ignore it when they're real young. You know, it's kind of cute. And they kind of have that little pouty lip, you know. It's not so cute when you can't ignore it. When the principal says, you know, we, we got to get him out of here. He's this thing called alternative school. I'm sorry, you can't be in this school anymore. You can't be on our team. It's kind of like then parents start clamping down. And it's like a pot full of steam. And you're like, oh, now I'm going to put the lid on. You put that lid on. And then you know what you're setting yourself up for? An explosion. <laughs> but it's been steaming for a long time. You've got to make the critical investments when they're young. Uh, you want to make sure that you have as much positive training in your parenting as possible, okay? It's not just negative, correcting them. You want to have as much positive. This is how you do it, affirming. You want to be communicating. But you want to make sure that you are correcting consistently. And if you don't, if you choose to be inconsistent, basically what you're saying is this. Parenting is based upon my convenience, not my convictions, what will it be? And then just finally, if you're going to train for maturity, you want to be conveying your love. You want to tell your kids that you love them, like, all the time. You want them to know that your love for them is not conditional. You want to reaffirm that. You want to be expressing that. Now, I feel like I probably overdo it with my kids. I'm always telling them I love them. They're walking out the door. They're on the phone. And I see them. And I probably overdo it, but that's probably because I didn't hear that when I was growing up. And I never want my kids to question that their mama or their daddy love them. And so you want to enjoy your kids. You want to make memories. This can be so much fun. Yeah, there are going to be some difficult times and you're going to be wore out. But if you'll really win the battles when they're young, man, it just keeps getting better and better, man. Family is a joy. And that's exactly what God has designed. So just like Dr. Gary Chapman in that book, Five Love Languages. Remember how we talked about that before? Remember these five love languages? They got quality time. Words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Just like you've got them, your spouse has got them, guess what? Your kids do. Figure out how they're wired and express your love to them. Now, as we've gone through this, you're like going, oh, man, 
I feel like a total failure when it comes to parenting. I have felt that on numerous occasions. I want to tell you something. Remember this. There are no perfect parents. Did you know that? There are no perfect parents. Our failures in parenting are meant to drive us back to Christ and his gospel. Doesn't, I mean, parenting like, brings out the worst sometimes in me, right? I didn't know it was that simple, but I am, huh? I need Jesus in some very real ways. And it brings me back to the foot of the cross where I experience the forgiveness and the grace. You want to make sure that you are well-tuned with Christ. And let me tell you something else. Every parent has the ability to improve. So what if you're a sorry parent? Okay, a lot of us are. But you don't have to stay that way. In fact, God wants you to improve. So pick a couple things that we've talked about. And by the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you actually pray and start doing things differently. Maybe you show more attention, be a better listener, be more consistent in your discipline. But do something. Improve. And finally, remember that we do not parent alone. This is so very important, especially for single parents. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I am with you always. You're going to do this together. I will give you my strength. I never ask you to do something I don't actually empower you to do. So it's never too late to begin, but begin before it's too late. The passion of godly parents is they want to see their kids brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ. Now I'll just close with this excerpt from a letter. This is a Christian dad. He wrote this and he said, quote, my family's all grown and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then, finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day. I would use to direct them to God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word that guides and directs our souls, that we can experience the fullness of grace and what it means to live out the life of Christ. And so, Father, you know all of our failures as parents. We just confess them to you. We thank you for the perfect righteousness that we have in Christ. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness and the newness of life, life found in the resurrection of our Savior. Lord, give us the courage and the confidence and the calmness to grow in this faith that you have placed us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.